Thanks for tuning in. I'm Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. In this episode, conservatives debate the effects of the Janus decision on public sector unions, researchers put a price tag on the Green New Deal, and the fate of a war memorial cross goes to the Supreme Court. How big a deal was the Janus v. Asmi ruling that government workers are free to refrain from financially supporting government worker unions? Not very, according to Daniel DeSalvo of the Manhattan Institute, who used Bureau of Labor Statistics data to argue that the government worker unions did not suffer substantial declines in membership. But other data suggests that while Janus may not be an autopilot path to reducing government worker union power, it does provide a toolbox to help workers exercise their rights. Briefly to recap, in June of last year, the Supreme Court ruled that government worker unions could not force government workers to pay union fees as a condition of employment. In the words of Justice Samuel Alito, neither an agency fee nor any other payment to the union may be deducted from a non-member's wages, nor may any other attempt be made to collect such a payment unless the employee affirmatively consents to pay. Unions and their supporters claim that the ruling ending force fees, which essentially extended right-to-work protections to government workers nationwide, would, quote, bleed the unions dry. But as DeSalvo writes, that doesn't seem to have happened. While noting that Janus, quote, has likely put to rest any plans for public sector union expansion or growth, DeSalvo uses the Bureau of Labor Statistics' annual analysis of total state and local government worker union membership numbers to show that these unions only lost 54,000 of their 6.2 million members from 2017 to 2018. This should not be terribly surprising. Right-to-work provisions alone often don't do all that much to union membership. Unions make withdrawing dues authorizations onerous, with opt-out window periods as short as two weeks, among other tactics, and workers are often unaware of their power to refrain from funding the union, even if they want to quit. The precipitous declines in union membership in Wisconsin and Michigan in the past decade weren't necessarily driven by the state's new right-to-work laws. They largely derived from a recertification rule in Wisconsin, which required government worker unions to show affirmative majority support of workers every year, and the end of the Medicaid dues scheme from home health care workers in Michigan. But that doesn't mean that the Janus ruling is useless for expanding employee rights. In Oregon, where the Freedom Foundation engages in canvassing, opt-out paperwork support, and litigation on behalf of Janus-eligible employees, government worker unions are already reporting noticeable declines in membership and dues revenue. Service Employees International Union Local 503 reported $30.4 million in dues and non-member forced fee revenue in the year ending September 30, 2017, before Janus was decided. The union reported 49,583 full members and 7,093 forced fee payers. In its first federal report filed after the decision, covering only July, August, and September after the Supreme Court issued the Janus ruling, the union reported having lost approximately 6,400 forced fee payers and 5,700 full union members. Counting changes in its associate membership and retiree membership, SEIU 503 lost over 21% of its total supporters. The Freedom Foundation claims, based on government payroll records, to have had similar success securing opt-outs in other West Coast government worker unions. The lesson of Freedom Foundation's apparent success and the multi-pronged approaches taken by Midwestern efforts to weaken the left-wing pillars that are government worker unions is that union members, even forced fee payers who already affirmatively reject the union, don't quit by inertia. It takes effort to inform an employee of new rights, to convince the worker the union is not in his or her interest, and to secure a completed dues deduction revocation. Ninety-three trillion, with a T, dollars. 
That is how much researchers at the American Action Forum estimate that the left-wing Christmas list that is the Green New Deal would cost, just in the first 10 years of its existence. In episode 60, we discussed at length the particular wish list items in this fire festival of a legislative proposal. According to the now memory-hold FAQ put out by the office of Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York, highlights included an end to animal agriculture, may mean farting cows, high-speed rail everywhere, despite California giving up on its far more meager high-speed rail project, and economic security for all who are unwilling to work. But nothing in life, not even what Team Ocasio-Cortez called our moonshot, is free. So, the American Action Forum, a center-right advocacy group headed by former Congressional Budget Office Director Douglas Holtzikin, tried to estimate the cost of giving the far left everything it ever wanted and a pony, as the Green New Deal would. AAF's researchers called the task daunting, but nevertheless, they persisted. All told, the costs were up to $93 trillion over 10 years, up to $663,000 per U.S. household. To get even the vaguest idea of what that very large number actually means, U.S. gross national income, a measure estimate of all the money American workers and American capital made doing everything they did in a given year, is $19 trillion it would take 4.89 full years of national income, which, by the way, includes what the government already spends doing all the stuff it does, to pay for the Green New Deal for 10 years. In essence, fully half of the national income would fund just this policy wish list. And that's before many people suddenly find themselves unwilling to work. And finally, in the middle of a roundabout in the Washington, D.C. suburb of Bladensburg, Maryland, sits a cross on federal land erected in the 1920s to honor 49 local men who died fighting in the Great War. To the American Humanist Association, an advocacy group for atheists, this amounts to an establishment of religion, and it sued to take the memorial down. This week, that case went before the Supreme Court. The American Legion, a Veterans Association, the State of Maryland, and the federal government are defending the memorial cross. A number of other veterans and military historical associations, among them the Veterans of Foreign Wars and the National World War I Museum, Social conservative groups, including the American Center for Law and Justice, and religious liberty organizations like the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty have filed supporting briefs. At issue is the so-called Lemon Tests, which requires government actions implicating religion or religious symbols to have secular purpose and to, quote, neither advance nor inhibit religion. Applying the test is notoriously difficult and inconsistent. The late Justice Antonin Scalia once compared it to, quote, a ghoul in a late-night horror movie that repeatedly sits up in its grave and shuffles abroad after being repeatedly killed and buried. The Beckett Fund proposed replacing the Lemon Test with an approach more closely based on the historical understanding of establishment of religion. The framers of the Constitution would have been familiar with state-funded churches with special legal privileges, a practice which continues with the Church of England in England today. A passive memorial would fail to meet such a threshold, and thus would remain permissible. Supreme Court watchers seem to think the justices are likely to permit the cross to remain. What is less clear is how or whether the Lemon Test will survive or be modified. Arguing for the government of Maryland, former Obama administration acting Solicitor General Neil Katyal argued that the Lemon Test wasn't even at issue, and the cross should survive anyway. That's our show for this week. If you're listening to this on YouTube, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you have subscribed, thank you, and please leave us a five-star rating. We'll see you next week.